Well, hopefully you have heard the name Elizabeth Elliot at some point in your life. Um, for me, whenever I hear her name, it, it sparks just a stream of thankfulness in my heart. And uh, I grew up in a home where her radio program of teaching through the Bible, my mom did not miss it. I, I think it, if it didn't come out daily, it came every other day. And mom was very faithful to turn it on and listen to it while she was doing some things around the house. As a child, Elizabeth tells the story about how she and her family uh, were some of the very last Americans to ever meet a couple named John and Betty Stamm. Uh, John and Betty Stamm were modern-day martyrs for the faith who, as soon as they had spent a time with the or with Elizabeth's family, they had then been sent to China, and they, there they died while ministering to uh, the people of China and preaching God's word. When the Red Chinese invasion came in and, and overtook them, they, uh, they were one of the first who were killed. And Elizabeth always points to that season of her life, even as a young girl, as kind of shaping her own life and her own ministry. Because those of you who know the name Elizabeth Elliot, you know that she herself would, after she was married, be confronted with a real-life martyrdom situation where her husband was killed in the jungles of Ecuador um, and she was left alone to raise her daughter there while continuing to do ministry in the jungles of Ecuador. Well, in 2015, Elizabeth, uh, before she passed in 2015, Miss Elliot, who in her lifetime was widowed twice, um, she gave a series of talks. I believe it was in 2009. Um, it has since been compiled in a book named Suffering is Never for Nothing. I highly recommend it to you. Her friends made it their life's mission after her passing to take the notes of those several talks that she had spent over a weekend and compile it in a book, which was done totally in 2019. And in that fantastic book, Elizabeth reminisces about the effect and influence that the Stams had on her life. But then she kind of goes off in a strange outpost and she describes how there was a small brass plate right above their doorbell growing up that had an even more profound impact on her life. The, the plaque's message shaped her family's view of life and obviously made a profound impact on her own life. Maybe you've heard it before. Um, it reads simply this, Christ is the head of this home, the unseen guest at every meal, the silent listener to every conversation. And she writes how that plaque shaped her family in such a way that they would open their doors to the Stams and other missionaries. And, and because of that plaque's influence in her father's and mother's life and opening their home and allowing Christ and his people to come in and minister to them in those different ways that she was then thrust into the ministry herself. Now for the life of me, I cannot find the origin of that little statement, though I have seen similar ornamental writings all throughout the internet this week. Uh, it seems as though it was a very popular saying in the 1900s, the early 1900s, and I love the message of it. But I can remember being a young child and hearing it for the very first time and thinking how strange it is that it would, or how strange it would be to have Jesus in your home and what's worse for him to be the silent listener in every conversation in your home. I don't know about you, but there are some conversations I wish he wasn't listening to in my home. 
I believe the message of the small plaque lays the perfect groundwork for the story that comes to us in Luke chapter 10. The setting is that this event takes place in the last six months of Jesus' life. Some scholars, they have been so particular to place it during the Feast of the Tabernacles around early October where Israel celebrated um, this time where they would go out in tents and booths and they would uh, essentially wander in the wilderness for some days, reminding themselves of what had happened in Egypt all those many years ago. But whenever it happens specifically, Jesus and his disciples, we know, are winding their way to Jerusalem when they've been invited into this woman's home to eat a meal at Bethany. And at this home, the home of Martha and her sister Mary, the short story unreals. Martha is inviting Jesus to be the actual guest in her home, the very present person at her dining table when supper is taking longer than expected to serve because her sister Mary has left her in the kitchen alone while Mary sits at Jesus' feet. Martha flips out, comes crashing through the kitchen door, and essentially, passive-aggressively, tries to get Jesus to scold Mary back into the kitchen. If you've ever been around Christianity or church any amount of time, I'm positive that you have heard this little five-verse story. And if you have, I'm going to assume that it's always been a case study and a personality differences, complete with a test at the very end of the message of, are you a Martha who likes to serve or are you a Mary who likes to worship? Or it heralds the need for rest and it warns the danger of busyness. Maybe you've heard it taught as the perils of being a control freak or whatever. In each of those, they are significant applications, which I think can be drawn from the text. But I'd like to this morning, I'd like to strip all of that away from this very familiar story. I really don't want you walking out here thinking, am I more a Martha or am I a Mary? I want you seeing the text and the singular point of the text. I'm pretty sure that some of our ministry leaders kind of groan whenever they hear or see that I'm going to be preaching on this passage of Scripture. I've done it twice before here at New Hope Church. The last time was several years ago, and it seems as though after preaching that service, we had a number of teachers resign and nursery workers resign because they thought, I need to sit at the feet of Jesus for a little while. I need to stop working in the kitchen and just sit. It's not my goal here this morning either. We desperately need you to serve. So they'll resign their post and somebody else has to fill in or the ministry leader will ultimately have to fill in for them. And that might be how the Lord works in your heart this morning. You might just kind of get hit with the need for rest, spiritual rest, real spiritual rest, by the way, not fake. If you're not willing to cancel other things in your life, don't cancel certain aspects of church in your life. It might serve as a healthy warning to you to slow down. But the goal that I want us to come to is that we would see Christ and that we would sit at his feet. So for just a few minutes this morning, let's try and forget all the ways that we've heard the story applied and just spend some time in the text and what it actually says. And so to help us, I've tried to outline the text in a very simple and easy way. We're talking about two women in the kitchen. We're talking about uh, female leads in this. So guys, I've tried to throw you a bone and we're going to split the story into the good the bad and the, no, it's not ugly. 
the best. I need to go back and rewatch some Clint Eastwood films, I guess. The good, the bad, and the best. Let's talk about the good in this story. Just about every time I have heard this narrative taught, Martha comes out looking like a villain. And I don't think she is one. Not by a long stretch. I don't think that's the case at all. I actually think it grieves the heart of the gospel to twist Scripture into that mold to make Martha out to be the bad guy of Luke chapter 10. It happened, verse 38, that as they went, he, Jesus, entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. How extraordinary is this setting of this story? In this era of the ancient world, it would have been very unlikely for a woman to own her own house outright without there being some kind of calamitous event which, calamitous event which had led to it. And scholars, all, they're all over the place. They've guessed far and wide how Martha could have owned her own home. Their guesses range from anywhere from her being widowed and left childless or possibly being the firstborn in her family, unmarried, orphan, merely holding the house until her younger brother Lazarus is old enough to, to take charge of the household. We, we have no idea. But interestingly enough, The very name Martha means mistress. It means female master of the home. So whether she gained this home after tragedy or some other way, it is hers to open and close to whomever she wishes. And she decides, she chooses to open her home to Jesus. Don't miss that. I could spiritualize that very quickly and say and ask the question, is your home open to Jesus. I I hope it is. You say, of course she opened her home to Jesus. This man could turn water into wine. He could feed thousands with just a few loaves. Why wouldn't you want this guy at your dinner party? Well, it turns out that a lot of people would not have wanted him in their home. You see, the ministry of Jesus, though marked by miracles and wonders, was not one that was readily accepted by the people of his day. In fact, on, fu- on, on quite a few occasions, Jesus walked into particular towns, and because of their rejection of him, Mark 6, 5 says in one particular instance, he could not do any major work there. Many people did not have the open sign on their homes. Many towns were aggressive to the ministry of Jesus. Let me give you two specific ones. In John chapter 1, John, who is looking back on the ministry of Jesus, he writes, He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. The very people that he was born to save rejected him. Let that sink in. His ministry was not one that was readily accepted by the masses of his time. Secondly, Luke chapter 9, verse 58, has Jesus talking about the cost that it will take in order to follow him. And he says in verse 58, Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I think you'll find that from the very incarnation Of Jesus in Bethlehem to the very last night of his life here on earth, Jesus was rejected, denied, betrayed, and at the mercy of those who had opened their homes and their hearts to him. 
and many did not. Even earlier in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out 70 of his disciples on this intense short-term mission trip and he warns them that they are going to enter some towns and they are going to go into some homes where people reject them and the message. They reject the Savior. And he tells them to walk directly out of that town to dust or to kick the dust off their sandals. Do not go back there. Because it was commonplace for people to reject Jesus. So rarely do I read anywhere in the Gospels that Jesus was eagerly invited to anyone's home unless it was for a purpose of healing or, or trying to catch him in a trap amongst the Pharisees' debate. But here is Martha, and she is flinging her doors wide open to the Master. Some read this into the story as that Martha is trying to go above and beyond to really make this dinner uh, one to remember. And maybe that is happening. We have no idea. If it was, I don't know what's wrong with that for the most part. It seems like it's an act of worship to, to lay out the absolute best meal that you possibly can before the Savior. In many ways, she's just trying to literally fulfill what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10.31, which is that whatever you do, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. There's something about doing everything well. I was taught from an early age at my home church a phrase that was across one of our door frames in the church building, if it bears his name, it is worth our best. And here is Martha inviting Jesus into her home and she wants to make sure that everything is done right and well. Whatever Martha has is at the disposal of Jesus. She wants to minister to this man who has ministered to so many. Martha gets hospitality right. She invites the guests that will actually later put a bullseye on she and her family. And I believe that she does this knowingly and joyfully. When I talk about hospitality, she is inviting the stranger. If you break down that word, it's the, the English or the Greek word, it's xenophilia. It is love of the stranger. And here is Martha saying, whatever I have is yours. That's good. And so is the next part. Not only is Martha opening her doors and willing to give this amazing service to the master, but we also see the two of them, Mary and Martha, busy working in the kitchen, preparing the table and cushions, and then Jesus shows up. And we don't know the details and particulars of it all. Perhaps Jesus and the disciples arrived early. Maybe he brought a few dozen more than Martha was expecting to dinner. Even Martha could have just bitten off more than she could have chewed in hosting this dinner. We have no idea. We don't know if Martha sent Mary out to the welcome, the crowd that's coming into their home, or while she stayed in the kitchen, or if Mary had just meandered off when she heard Jesus enter. But somehow, some way, for whatever reason, both Martha and Mary were working, and eventually, Martha looked around, and Mary was nowhere to be found. You know anybody like that? Verse 39, Martha had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard His Word. At some point, Jesus enters the house and at some point, His sitting at the table had turned into teaching. 
Don't read this as casual conversation if such a thing is even possible for Jesus. Jesus had taken up the mantle as a teacher and those in the room submitted to Him as His students and there is Mary at the feet of Jesus. Let me for just a minute or two, let me spiritualize and sermonize on that. Seated at the feet of Jesus is the absolute best place in all of the world for you to be. Seated at the feet of Jesus is the absolute best place in all of the world for you to be. I'm not talking about sitting near Jesus like in a table setting. This, this idiom, seated at the feet, it was one that's used of Paul and Gamaliel in Acts chapter 22, verse 3, as a teacher and a student, as a master and a disciple. He was brought up at the feet of Gamaliel and taught. Sitting at Jesus' feet is more about the position of the heart than it is proximity to the actual feet of Jesus. What's good about Mary and her example in Scripture is that nearly every time she's mentioned in the Gospel accounts, she is where? At Jesus' feet. Here, when, when pots and pans are clanging in the kitchen, she has chosen to sit at Jesus' feet. But even more telling are the other two occasions in which Mary is mentioned elsewhere in the Gospel. John chapter 11 has the story of deep and utter despair where Mary's brother Lazarus has died. And Jesus shows up on the scene four days late, according to Mary and Martha. If you had been here, Jesus, he would not have died. Jesus is never late. And in this account, grieving Mary hears that Jesus is approaching Bethany and so she bolts out of her sister's home and she sprints for all she's worth until she falls headlong at the very feet of Jesus. The days of mourning have spent her and she cries out in utter despair, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Can you hear the emotion in her voice. There is pain and sorrow. There is frustration and there is faith. There is the dashing of hope, but there's the exclamation of Christ's power in this. If you had been here, he would not have died. And in despair, Mary throws herself at Jesus' feet. Well, those of you who are familiar with Lazarus' story, you know that it doesn't end there. Jesus, in one of the most astounding miracles of his earthly ministry, he walks to the grave of Lazarus and he calls him back to the living. And that brings us to the next time that Mary is seen at the feet of Jesus, just a chapter over, where she throws herself at the feet of Jesus again in thankfulness. She's received her brother back from the dead, and I believe somehow knowing a little more than the other disciples know about Jesus' own death, Mary, just a mere few weeks before Jesus is to be crucified, runs into the room, kneels down at Jesus' feet while he and his disciples are eating, and she pours very costly oil all over Jesus' feet, and she begins to wipe his feet and wash his feet with her hair. In despair and in thankfulness, the best position in all of the world is to be at the feet of Jesus 
learning, hearing the word of God. Where are you today? You might be on one end of the spectrum or the other. Are you in deep despair or are you in thanksgiving? I'm telling you, Christian, whatever mark you find yourself in, take it to the feet of Jesus. And here, we see the message of the gospel that we are to find ourselves holy and completely in Him. In fact, when Julia read Psalm 27, verse 4, didn't you hear what, what David had already proclaimed in that passage? He says, one thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. To be nearer to Jesus in joy or in pain, to sit at his feet and learn from him, that is the goal of Mary's life. It reminds me of another woman separated by centuries from Mary yet still sitting at the feet of Jesus in her same ethos. A woman named Sarah Fuller Adams lived a short life of only 43 years. She was born deaf and after a bout of tuberculosis in her 20s was left incredibly weak. Yet the rest of her life was filled with an intensity to be near Jesus. She has a, literally, a, a literary catalog that is much longer than anything that I will ever write in my life. And in that catalog of all of her writings, she has a lot of very transparent questions where she asks God why this happened in my life and questions him about this. But she is known best. She is remembered for her hymn, one of about a dozen, but one hymn that sticks out among the others. Her one plea, nearer my God to thee, nearer to thee, even though it be a cross that raiseth me. Still all my song shall be nearer my God to thee, nearer my God to thee, nearer thee. She never even heard her own hymn. The cry of her life, nearer, at your feet. And that's Mary. She's seated at the feet of Jesus in pain and joy, desperation and thankfulness. And even here in Luke 10, when she just can't help but not be seated at his feet, we see the goodness being near Jesus with the bad. There's a tension in this story. Not everything is hunky-dory in the home of Mary and Martha. Martha is hospitable and Mary is worshiping. If you, if it, it could have been an event that happened multiple times with nothing of note written about it. So it would have been excluded from the gospel narrative. However, because of this tension in the text, it comes to us today. Can't you picture it? Martha is sweating and slaving away in the kitchen. I think she's been so focused on what she's doing that she doesn't even notice Mary's absence until she does notice that Mary is not there. 
Maybe a pot boils over, perhaps the bread is burning. Mary is supposed to be bringing her another kitchen utensil or fetch some more water. We have no idea. But looking up, Martha realized, I'm the only one working here. But Martha was distracted with much serving. I love the old King James translating of this passage. It says that she is cumbered about with much serving. I mean, you almost trip over that translation a little bit. She is cumbered about with much service. You kind of uh, you hear the, the labor of that. She is laid down with this heavy burden. But the Greek word that's used here actually notes being drawn away or enticed into a heavy burden. I, I think agree, or I think distracted is the best word here, but you need to see it overlaid with she is being fooled into taking this burden. If that doesn't speak to you or convict you this morning, I don't know what will. We who are distracted and we are fooled into the burdens of this life that we have chosen for ourselves, thinking that they're good things, yet they've kept us from the feet of Jesus. Notice what this distraction urges Martha to do. It's not good. You'd expect her to yell, Hey Mary, could you give me some help in the kitchen? I mean, probably a little strained, but she's trying to save face, I would think, because she's got company over after all. But that's not what she does. Verse 40, Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. H.B. Charles Jr., preacher I love listening to, he said, Mary is at Jesus' feet, but Martha's all up in Jesus' face. <laughs> so good. Martha doesn't go to Mary, doesn't grab her by the ear and say, get back in the kitchen. She doesn't do that. She goes to Jesus. If you're ever looking for a definition of passive-aggressive behavior in the Bible, look no further than, Lord, don't you care that Mary has left me to serve alone? With that one question, Martha has leapfrogged over her issue with Mary, and she's gone straight to her issue with Jesus. Lord, don't you care? As if this is Jesus' fault. In Martha's mind, it is. He should have scolded her a long time ago. It's the same question, don't you care that the disciples woke Jesus up with in Mark 4 when their boat was being tossed about in the storm and they were sinking and they were about to die. They wake him up, teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? Don't you care? Here's the thing, we saw this in our, in our time in Sunday school around the story of Esther this morning. We can judge these people in the Bible whose faults have been recorded by inspiration of the Holy Spirit and kept for millennia for us to read afterwards. But if we are all honest with ourselves for just half a second, how many of us have asked the exact same question? 
Someone does us wrong, we feel an an apparent slight from an individual, and because we don't see immediate consequences fall upon their actions, our hearts cry, whether vocalized or we keep it silent in our own minds, is, Lord, don't you even care? Don't you even see me? Aren't you even burdened about this? I don't mean to overload you with song lyrics this morning, but you are probably already thinking of it. The spiritual that came out of 1901 by Frank Graff, he asks that question, does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth or song as the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long? Does Jesus care? And then he comes in the chorus and he affirms, oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary and the long nights are dreary, I know my Savior cares. Child of God, hear me today. Your Savior knows and cares. If he knows and sees the sparrow that drops from the sky, he certainly sees and cares for you, dear one, who is hurting and feels all alone. Don't let this world fool you into carrying this burden that you alone are at work, distracted and cumbered about with so much labor that would keep you from going to the feet of Jesus, making you question, does he even care? Mary knows he cares, and Martha needs to get out of the kitchen and find that he does care. And with loving words of reproof, Jesus responds, calling Martha's name, not patronizingly, or really even in condemnation, but to reassure her of his love. Whenever Jesus uses two words together like this, it's the affirmation of get your attention. He says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and you're troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. Mary's chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. You're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. Mary's chosen that good part. Look at that first part of verse 42. One thing is needed. Ladies, you may feel it more acutely than us men, but I think we can all appreciate what Jesus is saying here. What's the worst thing that could happen at a meal with guests? You forget something. I could tell you about the time when I was in college traveling to churches, preaching and singing, and we had these strict rules about what you could and could not say and what you could and could not order. You always had to follow behind the the host pastor and order something similar or less than what he was ordering off the menu. And if you stayed in people's home, you weren't supposed to ask for anything that wasn't out on the table. And one morning, several of us students woke up to an amazing breakfast with homemade Belgian waffles and they smelled so amazing. And we sat down at the table and there was no syrup. And the whole family was just digging in and we were thinking, okay, when in Rome, eat waffles without syrup. We ate it all and the the wife, the mother, grabbed all the plates afterwards and putting them in the dishwasher, she said, we didn't have any syrup, did we? No! (laughs) She was incredibly embarrassed. What's worse 
than having friends over and forgetting something. Well, Jesus in this passage, when he says, one thing is needed, and I can just see Martha like grabbing the apron. What did I I forget? What didn't I bring out? One thing is missing. Martha, everything looks delicious, but you've forgotten something. The whole reason for this meal that was prepared was to enjoy the presence of Jesus. You've gotten so caught up and distracted and cumbered about and convinced that you are needed elsewhere other than at the feet of Jesus. You've forgotten the main thing. Don't miss that. Martha had. She'd gotten distracted, drawn away from the busyness of her life. And now we move into the best. I'm convinced that Martha could have experienced the presence of Christ while she was working. Look, this is not about rest versus working. This isn't even about sitting versus serving. Those of us in ministry, we know that someone has to work in in order for others to rest. Just has to happen, right? You go on vacation, you go on a cruise or something like that, while you're enjoying your vacation, somebody has to work behind scenes in order to make all that happen. In order for rest to happen, somebody has to work. It's the same in the church. In order for us to sing these amazing songs with these great musicians, Jeff has to get the music together. Our instrumentalists have to work in order for us to get the benefit of the song. In order for us to be taught the Word of God and have child care, our, our teachers have to show up on time and they've, they've got to be in the nursery and they've got to watch over our kids so that we can restfully worship. Someone has to put in some spiritual sweat and preach the sermon while you rest, hopefully, in the pews. Working is not the issue. Again, see, see the 70 that are sent out earlier in Luke chapter 10 who worked to bring people into the kingdom. Jesus' answer here is not, you need to stop working, Martha. That's not at all. Look even at the story of the Good Samaritan that just, he just told a verse before the whole account happens. He ends it in verse 37 by saying, go and do likewise. It's not rest verse work. It's not serving versus sitting here. I believe that the heart of this small narrative tucked in between a parable and a prayer is to choose the good portion. That's the language of the ESV. When Jesus commends Mary, he says in verse 42, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. And it evokes, his language does, it evokes the dinner. It's almost as if he's saying, rate the meal. What was the best part of the dinner tonight? Somebody could have said, oh, it was the steak, it was the potatoes, it was the dessert. It all tasted so good. But Mary's answer would have been, when I sat at the feet of Jesus. That was the best part of the meal today. That's the main thing. That's why Martha had invited Jesus to come in, was to spend time with Christ. Don't let this world fool you into believing anything less. 
And so here we have this small narrative tucked, just five verses tucked between, as I said earlier, the parable of the Good Samaritan to go and do likewise. And then in Luke chapter 11, we are immediately hit with the Lord's Prayer where you have work versus rest almost. And here we have in the middle, you can do both. You can serve and you can sit at the feet of Jesus. Mary has seen that. Martha, it will never be taken away from her. So look, church, this morning, I, I struggled all week with, with how to bring it all down and how to, how to close up our time together here this morning because I know some of you are at your wits end. You are placed in situations right now where you have no idea what you're going to do on Monday. You are stressed out. And all I want to encourage you today is go to the feet of Jesus. I don't know what that looks like in your personal life. It, it might be coming to a church service. It, it might be spending more time in the Word. It, it might be singing that song. It might be grabbing a friend and, and asking them to pray with you. I don't know what sitting at the feet of Jesus looks like for you, but I'm telling you, take your burden to Jesus. Nearer, my God, to thee. That whatever you are suffering, that suffering is never for nothing. That it is there to put you at the feet of the one who suffers for you. So maybe you're here and you're suffering and you need to hear, go to the feet of Jesus. Or maybe you're here and you're just thanking God for all the many blessings that he's done. Everything has gone well in your life and you're praising God for the raise and you're praising God for the health of your children. Friend, I am telling you, don't get distracted by the goodness of it all. Go to the feet of Jesus. He's the one who's given you the blessing. Go to the feet. That is the good portion. And I think that Luke, in particular, in the canon of the gospel story that he records, I think he does it on purpose. That he would have the Good Samaritan story, the, the story of, uh, of Mary and Martha, and then in the very next chapter, we're introduced to a God who hears our prayer. Jesus gets up from praying. His disciples overhear him. And they say, teach us to pray like that. I want to pray like that, Jesus. And Jesus stands in front of his friends and he teaches them to pray, calling God Father. Thanks for listening to New Hope Church's podcast. If you would like to listen to more content from our church, follow us at newhopefwbc.com.